Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Rick Shields Golf Show podcast. I am your host, Rick Shields. I'm here with co-host Guy, episode 145. Five. Nice. Um, I'm good, mate. Yeah, this You're is, on holiday? I am. Literally right now, <laughs> I'm on a cruise ship right now. I wonder what you're doing right this minute. Drinking. Yeah. Drinking, eating, drinking, partying. partying. Not checking. I'm going to literally not have my phone one bit. Nonsense. Um, also, you know it's growing when you say that. <laughs> before we continue, this fantastic, brilliant... <laughs> Best podcast in the world, possibly even golf. Oh, no, no, possibly golf. golf. No, definitely golf. <laughs> um, Top three in golf. It's powered by our really good friends at Golf Bidder. If you've not, if you don't know who Golf Bidder is, make sure you check them out. There's a link in the podcast description and the YouTube description. It's a way you can buy secondhand golf clubs and also sell some of your old golf clubs and get some cash, hard cash back from. Um, and also, you can buy brand new golf clubs on there as well. Nice. So you're on holiday. I am. I don't want to give it away. What you want to cruise? Well, that's all we'll say. Um, I've never been on a cruise. I, I like the idea of a cruise. I've watched a lot of documentaries about cruises, and they definitely look good. But I feel like on a cruise, like I'm guessing it's a big one. You're going to start to recognise people. People might, you know, oh, there's that guy that always wears the red shoes, for example. You know, yeah. Like just, yeah, yeah. What will your vibe be? So people, say if I'm on the cruise, I didn't know you, don't watch golf YouTube, don't know who you are. Are you going to be the guy that's always a bit leery, always drinking Guinness? Oh, that's that guy that's Guinness at half past eight in the morning. What is your vibe going to be? Um... Well, obviously, we're going in with the family, three mm. kids and the wife, and um, we're going for two weeks, which I'm really excited about. Going in, well, like I said, I won't say where. You're there now? I am literally there now. <laughs> I am on holiday right now. Um, so, obviously, we're filming this in advance. Um, so, things in the golfing world might might explode, yeah. and I'm going to know nothing about it. Because you're up on your phone? I'm, I'm actually taking a proper camera, not my phone. I'm going to oh, take wow. a camera to take pictures, because it's easy to take your phone. Oh, I need, I need my phone for pictures. Do you know what I mean? And it's easy to take your phone, oh, uh, just in case I'll nip to the shops, I need to pay for anything. I don't have to pay for anything. You do there. know that I know this is all nonsense that you've got on your phone. Watch me. I'd love you to do it. Watch I think it'd me. be really refreshing. I am. I am. Okay, wow. I'm going full reset mode. Um, and then if we do need to take pictures, I've also got my wife's phone. But <laughs> but yeah, I think it's going to be kids in the kids club, fingers crossed, me and Claire, little relaxing walk around the deck like a bit of sunbathing margarita i don't even like margaritas cocktails at lunchtime lots of food 
lots and lots of food. I'm going to come back twice the size I am. I've been working out quite a bit recently and, and slimming down, but I'm going to come back twice the size I like am. Like Henry VIII. I'm going to come back big. And then <laughs> what's, what's slightly frustrating is I know I've not been playing ridiculously good golf recently, but I do feel like my game's been trending. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I carried on playing golf now, um, I would continue to get better. I feel, I'm worried about what my golf's going to be like when I come back. One or two ways, my friend. You'll either come back and be unbelievable, you drive and be on point, your short game will be good, or you'll come back horrendous. And for the fact of Break 75, I don't mind either way. No, it's good. So all the Break 75s have been filmed. We've filmed loads of content in the bag of, uh, in the bank. Obviously, we've got loads of good, good videos coming out. Um, yeah, so I'll be drinking, chilling out, uh, trying to k- really keep ourselves to ourselves. We, we're not... What's interesting on holiday, um, it's, it's easy to try and make friends in it. And I, I don't need any more. You've got I've one got I've got you. <laughs> kind, kind of a friend, of. <laughs> really, in a way, sometimes. <laughs> I employ you to be my friend. It's <laughs> a good um, job. So, yeah, the, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully come back fully suntanned um, and, and ready ready to start September with a bang. I know what guy you're going to be. You're going to be the guy that people walk past and go, there's that guy again that's always begging his wife for a phone so we can have five minutes of scrolling. <laughs> Please, that, five minutes. There's that guy that's never off his phone. <laughs> no, I think uh, I'm excited about it and uh, you know you need nice refresh. You know, like in America, you see those hats where they have like cans of beer on the side. You need a, a hat that's got a th- your phone just sitting at the front. You don't even have to use your hands. You just scroll with your nose. No, no, no. I am going, I am going offline. Nice. Not fully offline. Well, as people will see from the title of this podcast, we've had a guest on, a phenomenal guest. And we're going to do a dear Rick in a minute for the golf bidder prize. Well, it's not going to announce today. Speaking of phones, Rick's is on, standard. I'm somehow texting myself from the future. Um, <laughs> um, but today's podcast is Robin Heisman, and it was unbelievable. Um, just a quick note, but you're going to explain a bit more who he is and what he's done, etc. So I want to say a quick note. This podcast is about golf course design. So if you're listening to the podcast, no worries. You can have a great, hopefully a great hour or so of podcast. It should be entertaining. It's very insightful. Not full of banter, but full of like really cool stories. I think it would be a really good one. However, small piece of advice, I would recommend if you're listening to maybe watch it again on, on YouTube because it's, we're going to have, add in a lot of, um, so if you're watching this, hello, you'll, you'll see, but we're going to add in a lot of footage of visuals. JCB and some visuals as well. So it doesn't mean it won't work if you're just listening, but I think watching will give it an elevated experience. So Robin Heisman is a course architect and course designer. He um, has designed multiple, over 10 golf courses already. And he's worked in the golf industry for many years. And he works for European Golf Design, which is one of the biggest kind of golf course design companies, mm-hmm. uh, part owned by European Tour, um, build a lot of Ryder Cup golf courses, championship golf courses. And Robin, pretty much single-handedly designed one of my favourite golf courses in the world, and I know yours as well, JCB. I know we've been there a lot recently. He designed that golf yeah, course. it's insane. Like, he designed the 17th, the famous par three over water, and he goes into how that accidentally happened. Interesting story. It really wasn't meant to happen. He also talks about um, uh, kind of what he loves of seeing in a different golf course, what what top five golf courses I should play that I've not played. Yeah, listen to that. Um, just so fascinating. However, I also want to tell a story about something that you mentioned off the podcast. It yeah. was after the podcast. We didn't cover this. We should have done, but don't worry, we'll tell a story right now. So right at the end, he kind of said, oh, um, podcast had finished and this, that, and the other. He said, I had some props in my bag to show you. I completely forgot. I said, oh, what is it? And he pulled out some paperwork. And I was thinking, what's this going to be? And out of this paperwork, he pulled out, first off, the map of JCB. Yeah. Like, the way he'd drawn it and written it, and it was just fantastic. We've got some imagery of that. We'll throw it in now. 
But also he said, I thought you might ask me how I got into golf course design. And I was like, oh God, why didn't we? That yeah. was that we normally do with a lot of guests. We say, how did you get into golf? How did you get into media? Whatever it may Can be. Can I be honest? I probably thought that it would, even though it's quite a very unique job, it would be quite straightforward that you got into architecture of some description, liked golf and kind of wanted to breed the two together. But this story is much more interesting. So he basically, what he's, he's always loved course designing. We spoke to his brother a few weeks ago up at the, uh, the Open at St. Mm-hmm. Andrews because his brother Andy Heisman works for Zen Putting Greens. And he said even when he was a kid, he was just drawing golf holes and drawing yeah. different designs. And you think, that's crazy, that, isn't it? Like, yeah. I never did that. No. I've never done that once. And um, he basically, at the age, he was pretty young. Was he 19 at the time? It was in 1986. Correct. I believe he was 19. He sent a letter to one of the most famous golfers in the world at that point. In fact, the most famous golfer in the world at that point. Jack Nicklaus. Mm. And he sent a letter to Jack Nicklaus, North Palm Beach or whatever, Florida. And that was it. (laughs) That was it. He didn't have Jack Nicklaus's address. Obviously, most people don't. He just posted Jack Nicklaus, North Palm Beach, whatever it may be, Florida, and off it went. In reality, that should just get to the post office and then just go, oh yeah, we can't send that. There's no address. Yeah. Somehow, <laughs> it got to Jack Nicholas, and Jack Nicholas obviously read it, and he responded with a personalised letter back to Robin, signed in person by Jack Nicholas. Which we're gonna put again. If you're watching, you'll see it now. If you're listening, we're showing the letter as we speak. Now, the letter that Robin sent to Jack was basically. Jack at this point had, was still in the prime of his career. The mm-hmm. same year, 1986, he won the Masters. So it's not like he was he was like retired at this point. But Jack Nicholas, towards the back end of his career, really started to get into golf course design. And he's, he's really put his name to a lot of mm. phenomenal golf courses, including Muirfield Village, which we come into in this podcast as well, because he likes tricking it up and makes it interesting. Jack Nicholas came back with basically a list of things that Robin needed to do, like go to, you know, agricultural college, learn about course design, learn about, you know, golf course architecture. And Robin, to the letter, read it and thought, right, I'm going to do what the best golfer in the world ever has told me to do. Yeah. And Robin did exactly that. And he now lives his dream as a golf course architect. And the, the weird thing is... That story in itself should be the end of it. That should be the most amazing story we've ever heard. It gets a little bit better. 2012, Robin decides again to send a letter to Jack Nicholas, mm-hmm. And I believe he had, his, I'm guessing he had his address. I think it was point. much easier to find on the internet an address that was, right. that was registered to his company or whatever. So Robin sent another letter, 2012. Now at this point, Robin's obviously a grown man. This is uh, 26 years later. Yeah. So, you know, he's a grown man. He's in his 40s. He's obviously now you know, becoming more established in the golf course architect industry. And he wrote a letter against Jack Nicholas, saying that he basically followed his advice and he now lives his dream of being a course architect. And he just wanted to send a nice letter, never thinking much of it. <laughs> a few weeks later, Robin got another personalised, hand-signed letter from Jack Nicholas. And what is absolutely insane about this, not only has he got a reply again, they're almost exactly the same. The, the letterhead in, the signature at the bottom, like the fact that 26 years apart, you would think they were six months apart and he's kept them both in such amazing condition. I think I'd have had them framed. Yes, personally. me too. I don't think I would have been carrying them around in a briefcase. No. Um, but he came to, he showed them and, and like I say, it was a shame we couldn't tell that story in the um, in the podcast, but I feel like we've done that justice. We've done it justice. I mean, it, what an amazing guy, a lovely guy, very intelligent, great way about him. So I'm really excited for people to listen to this podcast and watch it. We also talk about in this podcast about me 
designing my dream golf course. Yeah, so every hole is... Well, I'm sure you can work out what every hole for Rick's golf course will be like, but we come on that in the... In the there's no bunk. Well, actually, there could be bunkers. I love bunkers. So basically, what would you... I think a, a green just surrounded by bunkers would be perfect for you. If you hit the green, great. You put mm. in massive greens. Yes. Massive You can put greens. them anywhere. Um, if you miss the green, you're either on a perfect flat, almost green. Yes. So it's just a green. <laughs> We're going to call it a semi-green or a bunker. Yes. Um, basically the old course really pretty much yeah. and everything if you miss the bunker to the right and you've got to chip over the bunker no everything filters from the side <laughs> of the bunker so even if if you missed 50 yards right it's going to hit a bank and trickle down into the bunker yes and it, and there's also a local rule we get a free drop if you miss the green you can drop it on the green for free <laughs> that's another one as well so, um, but genu- genuinely genuinely i reckon it even sparked my interest more after speaking to robin I would actually love to get into course design. Yeah. You know, later in my career, whatever that looks like, whether it's, des- I know we've joked about Rick's quick six, um, but I do believe that I've got a good eye for, for being able to, whether it's driving ranges or golf facilities or golf courses, um, you know, I'd love to be able to kind of get involved in that as, as somewhat of a, of a side project. That, a little side hustle. But I imagine, I do think it's quite fascinating. And Robin was very humble about it. Imagine people watching people play the golf course you've yeah. designed. He says in in the podcast again, it's almost like acting like God. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. That's what you do a lot as well. Uh, I quite like acting like <laughs> um, God. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little secret. Go for it. One of my darkest, deepest secrets. You've wanted to have a golf course architect on for a while, as you've mentioned this many a times to us off podcast from thinking of ideas or whatever. And obviously, we came up with the idea of having Robin on because obviously we're such huge fans of JCB, like you alluded to. I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't super, super excited to have, not not say Robin on, but have a golf course architect on, because up until recently, golf architecture has been something that I've never been that thought about, I'd just go to a golf course and play and hope to play well. As I've played more nice courses, thanks to yourself, and some open venues and some great golf courses, I'm starting to appreciate courses more, and nice courses and the way they're designed. So I was kind of opening up to the idea, honest to God now, it was one of the most enjoyable podcasts we've done. I really enjoyed it. I think not only the subject is more interesting than I thought it would be, but without blowing smoke, Robin was a very articulate and interesting guy, and I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. So I think you guys listening will. I feel like we've wet everyone's palate enough. Quick, Okay, then. Let's do a quick Dear Rick and then get into the pod. With so Robin. Dear Rick, as you guys know by now, is sponsored by our, my, my, I with my best friend, one of your close friends, Golf yeah. Bidder. Yeah, fam, I reckon family. Yeah, potentially. We call them fam. So I text Golf Bidder privately and say, hey, fam. To be honest, I actually get on with Golf Bidder more than I do my own family. So yeah. maybe so, they're better than family. So Rick Cruz is just Rick and the team from Golf Bidder going on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to hopefully find a simulator and just whack old clubs and be like, who can get the longest drive with a, a tailor-made M1? <laughs> uh, but anyway, they are very kindly giving us a prize for Dear Rick, which will get announced next week. And by then, we'll have the amount in question. I hope it's a good amount now after bigging this amount up so much, but it, <laughs> will, it will it will be. Um, and also, you get pride of winning as well. So pride's a big thing, isn't it? So this Dear Rick, um, it's a decent one, as always. If you want to get yours right out next week, this is the last, last chance. Email us, podcast at rickshields.com. However, this is how it goes. Please keep anonymous or change my name if you read it out. Thanks, okay. Oh, can we change his name? Call him... Um, Boris. Boris. Okay, so this is from Boris. Love the podcast. Really makes my week feel complete. Okay, nice start. Boris. I wanted your opinion on my status. As a bandit. Oh. Okay. I am. He does sound like a Boris. Boris the bandit. Boris, yeah, Boris the bandit. Double B. 
I'm a 22 handicap. I can drive 300 yards. I can pitch <laughs> to five foot and I can chip it to three foot. This this actually sounds like an, another Boris from from our country. Well, oh yeah. <laughs> that seems to tell a few little white lies. Yeah, over-exaggerates things. <laughs> However, I might do this twice per round. Occasionally, I can play phenomenally, brackets for my handicap, and win Stableford or even medal competitions. The result is everyone knows me as the bandit. Boris. Boris the bandit. bandit. And I hear people say pretty nasty things about me coming third or higher in a Saturday comp because I'm robbing them of their winnings. When, in reality, I may shoot 17 over par twice a year. That happens to be on a Sunday comp. Convenient. I've made a few friends that try and use me for an easy win in a doubles comp as well. Brilliant. Then they quickly ignore me when I realise that I am actually a 22 handicap. So they're thinking, right, Boris the Bandit's a good guy to have on your team. They play with him, and he has a stinker and shoots 40 over par. They think, why did I pick Boris? But it is in his locker to go and shoot a good score. So he's in a bit of, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's asking for your thoughts, Rick. What should he do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. Well, basically, what he's saying is, in a nutshell, and this is, I think, a lot of us have this issue. Your handicap is something that people signify you for, don't they? So there's not many amateur sports, I wouldn't say. Maybe there's like running and having a 5K time. But if you said your mate plays five a side on a twice a week, you wouldn't say, how many goals you score? It's like well, it's, it's almost it, like you'd ask, is he any good? And you go, oh, no, yeah, he's decent. But that's all you could say, that's isn't it, really? That's all you can say. The only thing you might say, oh, when he was 14, he had trials at Bolton. That's yeah. all you can really say. With running, yeah, maybe you could say, oh, I can run 5K in 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever. It's but measurable. Yeah, most sports, I guess it's quite hard to really give a level. However, with golf, we have handicaps now. You have a number you have that the... instantly tells you what level you are. 100%. And people, rightly so, have different definitions of what a good player is. And we've discussed this a load of times on the podcast, and don't, you've done polls on, online. Some people think that if you're off 18 or better, you're good, which is understandable because 18 is the average in the UK. Some people might think you're only good if you have nine or scratch or whatever it might be. If you're a brand new golfer and you get paired with the guys of 24, you might think, oh, they're good. So it's very different to measure, but your handicap should be really you on a good day. It's, it's a snapshot of you on a good day. Definitely. Exactly. But however, if you are off 22, you're kind of in a funny level, I think, because you, let's be honest, you're going to make bogey most holes and you're going to throw in the odd double. But equally, you can make pars. Yeah, you, you, of course you can. So if you had a round where you just had the best round ever and you started off with four pars in a row, if for then remaining holes you then play to your handicap on the rest of the holes, you're going to finish like four, five, six, seven under your handicap potentially, yeah. which would kind of people think, oh, he's a bandit coming in with 43 stable for the points or a net 65, whatever it might be. But equally, if you're off 22, you can go out and go double, 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 and next thing you've shot 36 over par. I'm, 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 I've had a experienced this recently and you, you've seen it in real life as well when i played in the legends pro-am mm-hmm. john daly and adam brown the competition winner yes right yes he's off 22 yes and we nicknamed him 22 no was not 25 25 sorry he's, he was off 25 yes right? he was and i remember i'm just looking through the messages now he sent me i remember when i picked him out the hat and he, and he won the prize and and i said to him brilliant well done congratulations I said, by the way just so we know what is your current handicap and he, he actually said it's 20, he actually said, told me it's 26 at the time, 26. And I didn't reply to him, but I thought, oh no, 26, like he's going to really struggle. 
round, yeah. round somewhere like JCB, I have 26. It's a hard golf course. My impression of a 26 handicapper is someone who, you know, will sometimes break 100, yeah. but there's no guarantees. No. Like, and normally. That's, and that's normally a nice, friendly Parkland course, not yeah. somewhere like JCB. So, um, when Adam signed up, obviously he won the prize. I'm not going to say, no, you can't have it. Your handicap's too high. And I thought, okay, I'm just slightly kind of concerned. It'll be interesting. And then when, when we found out it was Texas Scramble that day, I was like, oh, actually, that makes me feel a bit better because he can just kind of participate when he wants. Yeah. He did not just participate in that day. He was the main reason why that trophy up on that shelf there, we came second 100%. place. Because for him, and, and I can only use him as an example, I'm not saying this every golfer, but it sounds like Boris our bandit. <laughs> Um, because he could be called Adam Brown the Bandit. Yes, he could Brownie. Brown the Bandit. Brownie. All the bees. Um, Adam on that day hit some shots, in my opinion, that was as good as a ten handicapper. Yeah, didn't he? Well, strike wise, and then he holds some putts that literally a tall pro would be well, over the we moon didn't with. Ho- I didn't hold a putt from that location. No. John Daly didn't hold a putt from lo- that location. Ollie Phelps didn't, but Adam could. We're talking 35, 40 footers, but eagles, and all sorts. Right. Insane. But then, what we also saw that day, and I'm sure you won't mind me saying this, out of the whole group, he hit also some of the worst shots. Yeah. Like, your bad, unless you hit a terrible chip, which occasionally you do, your bad shot might be like a pulled iron left. Yeah. In terms of actual ball flight and strike, it's not that bad. It's, it, it's kind of got up in the air. You know, it's not an out yeah. and out. He hit a couple shot. of shots that were like shanky, thinny ones across the floor, and you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. But again, that's why his handicap is 25. Yeah, it's it's a snapshot of you on a good day. So my advice to Boris the Bandit is ideally to not avoid... I mean, really, if you're winning competitions and you're playing well, your handicap should be getting docked. Mm-hmm. And I think in the more newer handicap, that is happening that a lot more quicker, isn't it? I think it's having bigger changes. So you might be at 25, have a good round, and the way that you, your last 10 or whatever scores work out, you could go on to 18, let's just say. But also, in a few months out, you could go up yeah. back up again. So the handicap system's there, and I think if, if you are genuinely playing by the handicap system and not trying to fudge it or be dodgy, um, you know, not trying to manipulate it, your handicap is is a fair reflection of your ability of golf. Yeah. As a whole, yes, you're going to hit some good shots every now and again, as as any golfer has the ability to do so. But you'll also hit some bad ones that balance it all out. I think as well as definitely from when I've, I'm a member of a golf club, obviously, but I don't play comps really anymore. But there definitely is a culture. I feel a bit harsh sometimes on higher handicap players when they do have a good round and they, and they win a comp. A lot of the better players almost look down at them, and I think that's because if you're a six handicapper, you're obviously a good golfer. The chance of you shooting one under gross are very, very slim. Let's, you could, may it would happen once, but it's very slim. Yeah, so to, you've got, to win by seven. Yeah, to win by to seven, seven. To shoot seven, seven, seven under, under your handicap, exactly. However, the chance of a guy off 25 having the day and shooting 18, 18 over. Exactly. That could happen. That That's not that. It's not like a... Although it's still seven shots, it's much smaller percentage better than the hand. Do you get well, what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's a lesser percentage of the amount of shots you've hit. Exactly. So... It is more common that high handicappers will shoot amazing scores. It just happens, doesn't yeah. it? Um, I suppose again, it'd be a bit like, and, I, and I'm only using this number. I think my maths are right here. If you were to, if you were to shoot a hundred, okay, mm-hmm. normally, and you shot seven better, ninety, uh, ninety-three, you've shot seven um, percent. And I'm, I know what you're trying to get at, but it it also works in the reverse right as way. well. That's the right way. Anyway. It also works, the last thing on this, it also works in the reverse where 
a scratch handicapper can have a nightmare, but a nightmare for someone off scratch might be an 82. Yeah. So it's 10 over the handicap. A nightmare for a guy off 25 could be a million. 20 shots over, 30 yeah. shots over. So hopefully there's some level of clarity. We've not got an answer for that, but it's a good discussion point. And I'm very excited to see what next week's dear Rick is because one of those four is going to win. So the ones we've got so far, Barry the Bandit. We've got the guy who wanted to know how he could keep his wife and his dad happy. And we've also got the guy who had a son who was uh, dropped from 52 handicap oh, yeah. to 11 and was thinking he wanted to get even better and better and better and better. So I wonder what next week will be. Maybe really next week will one. be, uh, I was on a cruise with a golf pro who wouldn't stop giving me advice. He had no phone to scroll. <laughs> he had no no phone to scroll on. So he was looking around, thinking, "That guy, do you play golf? Yeah, let me fix your swing. I've not got a club. Would, I don't he care." He stop me giving me advice. And at the end of the holiday, I got an invoice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Without further ado, we've wet your appetite enough. Sit back, relax, and uh, let's welcome to the podcast golf designer and golf architect Robin Heisman. So Rob, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I'm delighted to be here, Rick. Thank you. I am really excited about talking to you because I think, honestly, right now, I think you've got one of the most fascinating jobs in the world of golf. It can be. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little slight hesitant pause there. Then. Well, if you knew what I've been doing for the last couple of days, you might think differently. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's not all rosy. I'm sure it's. I'm sure yeah. it's very, very complicated. And I'd love to dive into it, but it's something that. Every one of us that play golf, yeah, every single one of us, regardless of the golf course that we play at, whether it's a private, really exclusive and, and you know, expensive, whether it's a, a public golf course or a municipal, at some point, somebody had to design that golf course. Mm. Somebody had to say, well, these, how, these are the 18 holes that are going to work and we're going to go down here and this is going to be a par four and a par five and everything else. And obviously there's there's limitations with the land i guess when you arrive at site but it, the world's your oyster once you're there surely how do you even start to picture how these holes come together i mean you've designed one of my favorite golf courses jcb mm. golf and country club i've seen the pictures when it was a field mm. yes quite literally a field well that that's what gets me like you said there's pictures within the clubhouse of before the golf course was made and you can't fathom how somebody you have the vision to turn that what's essentially like a farm into a world-class golf course it's insane so how, how well, do you do it <laughs> well, that's a big question i guess you start the way you kind of suggested you just basically start laying out little lines on a plan you don't try and do it all at once the first thing you've got to do is basically try and work out the, the layout plan i'm actually going to go one step further back than this go on when Somebody wants to build a golf course, okay? Mm. So they've got, they've bought this land or they've, they own this land. They go, I'm going to build this into a golf course. You, the, I'm guessing then their job is to try and find a golf architect, a golf course designer, mm. okay? And I'm guessing there's quite a lot out there. Yes. Of certain yeah. different pedigrees and mm -hmm. certain different, you know, styles and you know, some, some designers probably like to have a lot of bunkers. Some like to probably have different types holes or dog legs how does the the golf course that's about to be built first off pick a designer like how do they decide i want that guy to design this golf course well let's use jcb as an illustration because it's quite a good story behind that um, so the company i work for european golf design is 
50% owned by the European Tour. Okay. And on the bottom of the Tour's webpage, there's a little link to European Golf Design. So uh, there's a chap at JCB called Alan Thompson, who was like their development manager. And he might be the only person in history to find that link. Because <laughs> 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 okay. it's well hidden. And uh, they decided at JCB they wanted to have basically a golf course they could hold their version of something like the John Deere Classic or the Firestone Invitational on, yeah. on their golf course. So he went to the European Tour website to see what he could find. So he found this link down the bottom of the page and he, and he called up our office. Now the, the Tour's office is in Wentworth. Our design office is in Sunningdale, so it's just down the road. And this is where it gets a little bit weird about why and how I'm here sitting with you talking about it. Um, because we've got about eight people working in our office. And ordinarily, there's maybe six of us, or well, you know, before COVID, in the office. And you're all course architects and designers. We've got um, four course architects in our office, managing director, uh, CAD support, computer-aided design, accountant, things like that. Yeah. So on this particular day, there was only me and Matt, who's our CAD engineer in the office. So I would normally be quite a long way down the pecking order for a phone call coming in. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would go to the managing director or it would yeah. go to my colleague Ross, who yeah. designed Worsley Park, you know all about his work. Or maybe Gary, before it gets to me. So the phone rings, Matt picks it up, takes his guy's um, inquiry and he rings through to me and says, Rob, there's a guy from JCB on the phone who wants to talk about golf courses. Can you help him out? So my immediate thought was, oh, it's some sales yeah. rep. They want, they want to sell some diggers to us yeah, to or build some, golf courses. Or to some crack contractors. On, uh, they want to kind of sell some products. So I pick up the phone and say, yeah, it's Robin Heisman here. Can I, can I help you? And it's this guy, Alan Thompson, lovely Scottish fella. And he says, oh, hello, my, my name's Alan Thompson. Um, we at JCB here are quite interested in d designing a golf course on our land. We wonder if you could help us out. So my ears pricked up at this point. Uh, oh, <laughs> you were like, okay, this was a good time to pick up a phone call. This wasn't what I was expecting. So we got talking, and he said to me, he "said What I've done is I've um, I've overlaid Augusta National on our piece of land to see if it fits, and I think it does. But I'm no expert. I'd really like to get your opinion on that. So oh, okay, well, that's a nice way to start this okay, conversation. Yeah, you're saying all the right words so yes. far. So I said, well, let me flip open Google Earth and we can have a little look. You show me where you are, um, show me what the piece of land is, and we'll, we'll have a chat. So we did that, and, and, and you know, you've been there. It's kind of, a, kind of almost like a plectrum-shaped piece of land surrounded by roads next to the factory. So I looked at that. We talked it through about 10 minutes. And I said, okay, Alan, here's, here's what we'll do. I'll come up and see you, and we'll, you can talk me through this. We'll walk the land, and you can just sort of explain it, and we'll, get, we'll, we'll take it from there. There's no charge. Let's just, just talk. Now, that's basically equivalent of me now putting a flag in that project at European Golf Design. It's my project. Yeah. You've got R RH written all over all it. All over it. <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> because there was no one in the office, so I couldn't kind of refer it to you. Well, you couldn't do. No. There's no way you could <laughs> hand it over to someone else. It was no. yours then. So I arranged to go up a, f a few days later. And, um, I mean, I knew nothing about JCB as a company other than, you know, diggers and you get stuck behind them on country lanes and swear at them. That was about yeah. what I knew. So uh, I drove up to Roaster and then, of course, you see the, the headquarters and you think, oh, my God, this is this is something a bit extra. Huge, Huge isn't it? Yeah, this is more than it's, I it's expected. A, it's a town. It's own town, yeah. is yeah. it, really? And that's only one of four or five in that 
region you drive past on the A50, a couple more. So we um, we went into the factory. He walked us through the, the building upstairs to his office, and, you know, it's that kind of long walk through hundreds of metres of desks. And then, then we eventually went out onto the site. So that's basically how I got involved working for JCP. Um, I mean, at that point, I hadn't seen the site, but it was, right, well, I, I get the idea that this company... Yeah is a serious they're not going to build company yeah they're not going to build a normal golf course they're going to build something pretty special well they wanted something they could hold a professional tournament on we work for the tour we design rider cup courses we design lots of tour venues so we kind of understand what it what it needs yes but we've got no say on what the site is here and so you know that the stakes were quite high in what they wanted but at that point we didn't know if the site they had available would would suffice. Um, so that's when the, the, the hard work started, going across the road. So you're out on the fields, you're walking it. Yeah. And, and what, are you already at that point starting to go, okay, are you looking at the space and the land? Are you looking yeah. for iconic features? Obviously, there's the wonderful lake there, which you built the phenomenal 17th hole on. Are you mm. starting to look at, okay, maybe this could be the starting point. This could be the end. This It could wrap it. Are you looking at the the routing or are you looking at how, where par fours would fit? How What's the next stage? Um, yeah, before you even think about where the clubhouse is going to go, you're kind of looking for the holes that the site is giving you. And um, that gave us a few kind of like clues in the crossword or Sudoku. It was like, yeah. oh. All right, that's a, that's a hole there. So, for example, the, the very first hole I found was hole 11. Yeah. Down by the brook. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Nice oh, hole. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's very Augusta style, I think, that hole, with the stream just down the left-hand side. It's, it almost, like, yeah. it's almost like the 13th, but the wrong, the wrong way around. And it's yeah. also a little bit like the 12th, the par 3 at Augusta. Well, it was immediately apparent to me when I saw that. You know, there's so that a, there's stream a was already there, obviously, yep. and, and it kind of just flowed, and you were like, okay, yeah, I can see something working there. So, like, that's the building block. you got that hole that's going to start here, and it's going to end there. Yeah. What can we get to join up with it? So the next one that kind of came up to, to shape was the first. Now, you know, the, the alignment of the first was what I first saw, but the way it looks now is, is very, very different to how we first saw it. Um, we talk about... 150,000 tons of earth out oh, of that first hole. Down um, the left? Was the lake there? Was the water there? The the big lake wasn't there. Oh, wow. No. no so the one in front of the green was there? The one in front of the green was there. That's called a, a winding hole. Back in the days of the canal, that's where they would turn the barges around. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that closed back in the early uh, 19th century. That was closed for 150 years. Then the railway line ran along where the first tee is, that is the railway line. Um, but the story behind that one is that, um, you know, you've got the old hall, Woodseed Hall there up yeah, on the yeah, hill. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And that was planned to be the clubhouse. Uh, Lord Bamford, you know, kind of envisaged that as being the clubhouse. And he said to me that, you know, if we're in the clubhouse, I'd like to be able to see the water in the canal. Um, but it was impossible because of, of, of the hillside in the way, it was a big wide road going up to the arena. So that hole was designed not only from the tee looking towards the green, but from the hall looking down the valley so that you could see water. Oh, so, that, wow. so that whole bay was created primarily to give the view from where the clubhouse was going to be. But of course, it fits in beautifully. We're giving you that amazing tee shot. 
off of the uh, off God, the railway. I think just broad. a quick note: if people are listening at home, we might put some of the footage of the yeah, holes over the video that, version yeah. of the podcast. If you if you're listening in the car, be sure to go and watch the YouTube version as well. You'll yeah, see a lot of the holes. It's all a bit visual. Yeah, well, yeah, it's very visual. So. Yeah. You're starting to plot these holes and you know where 11 is and you know where the first is, but you maybe don't know the order of the holes just yet. Yeah. Let's say then you've you've left site, you've got a rough idea and you've left the site. Yeah. Do you then work with your CAD engineer back at European uh, European Golf Designs to mm. start planning this out a little bit more? No, no, Not even it's all, at that point. no, it's all done entirely by hand. In fact, all the drawings are done by hand. You draw them? I, I draw them, all of it, and then we get it computer drafted we draft it in to produce the drawings for the documents but all the holes were designed by hand so you have a massive desk i'm guessing nearly as big as this yeah with with a huge <laughs> map on it yes like a google earth map or something is it or is it even better than that oh it's about it's a one to two thousand or one to a thousand scale so it's quite big and it, and is it is it google earth style it was a it? it was to begin with we just scaled off google earth from, from an aerial yeah and i basically kind of played join the dots you know, you put the eleventh on, you put the first on, you think, well, and you're literally just drawing it on just, the golf, on the map, just in pencil. Yeah, for the first couple of months, it was nothing more um, technical than uh, pencil lines on a piece of tracing paper. Just when I worked out where the holes were going to go. But obviously, we, I know we're talking about JCB a lot because it's something that I've obviously done. But that, this is not your first project, is it? You've you've done many other golf courses. No, I've been going at this now um, thirty one years. Wow. Since it was my first job. Yeah. And what was your first ever golf course pretty much on your own? Um, well, I had my own company up in Scotland. Um, after I was made redundant at the age of 26, which is not a good age to be made redundant in no, golf architecture. No. <laughs> uh, so I, it was a sink or swim situation then. So I went up to, um, to Aberdeen where um, a project I'd worked on previously for my first employer um, they f fell into dispute and they came back and asked me to carry on. You know, you know, I had to kind of make sure it was a kind of a clean break, but uh, that was my first one on my own up there in at, at Deeside Golf Club in Scotland. Right. And um, it's amazing the way in which things happen just by word of mouth. You know, I, I, uh, I was marking out a bunker on the new 18th hole when the uh, Greens chairman of Deeside introduced me to the, the Greens chairman of Royal Dornock. And before you knew it, I was engaged by them to redesign their second course, the Strewy, um, just oh from God. word of mouth. Well, you think about it, that must have what, what happened in, in the past. Yeah. Old Tom Morris would have been word of mouth. Alistair McKenzie would have been word of mouth. Yeah. Like, to go around to all these different places. And you were quite a historic in the in the world of kind of golf architects. Do you, have you looked back and studied these these kind of icons of golf architect design. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. You, you can't really fake it, you know, um, unless you know what all the reference points are from back in history. And who, have you got a favourite course designer from back in history? Um, probably Mackenzie. I would say I like the fact that he was quite avant-garde. He was prepared to to stir things up. A little bit. He didn't play it safe. I'm confused because I, I pulled up Alistair McKenzie's mm. golf course designs that he's done. Okay? Yes. And in the amount of time that he had, considering travel wasn't as easy back then when he was designing them, he designed so many golf courses yeah. in a really small period, in a very short period of time. Yeah. Well, it's often the case back then that they wouldn't 
spend as much time on a project as we do now. They might kind of visit, do a plan, and leave it in the hands of a trusted contractor to do it. So they might turn up, do do the site walk like you did. Yeah. At somewhere like a JCB and seeing this land, they might have a. Would they've had a big map back then? Like, would they've still had a big map? I'm yeah, guessing? they would have. They'd have quite good maps back then, kind of beautifully hand drawn topo maps and things like that yeah so then they would have they would have drawn out the where the holes are going to be and yeah. then actually just pass on that design for someone else to actually build yes i mean if you take royal melbourne for example I mean, it's one of his most famous designs but uh, he only went there once wow he he didn't see it at all after it was built because he left it in the hands of his uh, associate there in australia when he was off by then in america so he would have had people working under him is that right? Am I saying that? Is this would this be true? Um, or, or people who are local to the sites? Yes, he would more more likely he would have sort of agents in the countries he worked in. I mean, he did a, he did this grand tour of Australia, left a a bunch of designs, and then uh, a guy called Claude Morecambe he he kind of interpreted Alistair's requests and and built the courses on his behalf. I don't that's think he, crazy. You never saw it again. That's unbelievable. So that's why he designed so many. Because he wasn't, mm. he wasn't at every site for a year, two years plus. He couldn't have been. He no. was there for a, a quick visit, quick site view. Not quick, but I'm sure. Yeah. Quick in the grand scale, scale, of, scale of things. Drawn it all out and then passed it on to whoever else to build. Yes. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. 
But I think l- later in his career, we went to America and settled in America. He did spend quite a lot more time on his projects over there. So, you know, Augusta, Cypress Point. Yeah. Paso Tiempo is a one in course in California he even built a house on. So he spent a lot of time on that. So interesting. So yeah. you, you've you've drawn out and you've got you've got all the, the designs and you know exactly where your 18 holes are going to be. Yeah. Do you then have to, I'm guessing, present that to the golf venue mm-hmm. for approval? And do you have to present it to anybody else for recommendations or, or is this doable? Because I could, I could, if we had a map now in front of us, mm-hmm. right, with a blank canvas, I actually think I could draw a golf course, right? Mm. But to say then whether it's any of it's feasible, whether any of it's actually doable, for example, the 17th green you've built, built at um, JCB, you might have drawn that and gone, yeah, let's, let's just make this a bit bigger and just make that an island. <laughs> but there's got to be a point you go, actually, is it doable? Oh, yeah, there's definitely a point. And that 17th hole is a good example of exactly that. Um, do you mind if I tell you how course, that came about? Of love you to. Um, because that land wasn't on the site they gave us. They gave us the fields on the other side. That lake wasn't part of the, the golf course development site. No way. No, it, it was not there. Because it was a you know a fishing lake, it was um, a lake like a leisure centre, wasn't it? Really, yeah. Back in the, yeah, there was a kind of the leisure club. So I was up on site um, looking at the 18th hole, and the 18th hole played from the 17th tee to the 18th green. That was the hole oh. I was looking to design, and you can still see it now. You could play the hole. Yeah, you could. Next it's time a flat, you go there. Like Douglas, yeah, yeah. Just give it a go. See what yeah, you think. Yeah. <laughs> I will actually recently when I went for the JCB Championship, mm. um, I went with the family. We're in, we're in a golf buggy, and normally when I play seventeen, I obviously go down and go down the bridge and play the hole and come back. Mm. But because the spectators couldn't go down the hill down to the seventeenth green, it was it mm. was transporting you down past the eighteen. Yeah, you had to go across, didn't you? And it I, I drove down. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I could I you could see imagine it, this yeah. is a hole. Well, it was that was it. It was going to be the eighteenth for quite a long time. So where was the other hole going to be? Was there another no, that, hole squeezed in? Yeah, there was. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that Don't in a minute. Anyway, it, go on, 17. <laughs> so I stood on the 17th tee, as is now, and I looked across to my left, and just under the canopy of the trees, I could just see this little sliver of blue water, the lake down below, and I thought, you know, if you just go over there and just kind of trim some of the trees, we can give the golfers quite a nice view of the lake, just you know, just, just mm-hmm. kind of landscaping. Yeah. So I wandered over there, kind of poked on my head under the trees, and bizarrely, on the other side of these trees was a gap in this forest, just a grass hillside, looking straight down at the island. And I didn't, I didn't know it, the island was there until that point. But the island was really small, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, it was very narrow. It was about 15 yards across and then about 80 yards wide. And it, about two seconds later, I thought, oh, you could probably just about hit that far from here. And that was the kind of the seed of the idea. So, well, okay, well, God, you imagine if we put a green out there. That's going to be iconic for, for JCB. I can just imagine that moment, couldn't like, you? And what year was this, by the way? 2012. Okay. So it's 10 years ago. 10 years ago. You could stand there and go, yeah. Yeah, that could be a hole. So I, took, I actually took a picture on the, um, you know, when I told you about just seeing the water, I took a photograph of that moment. I thought, just remind, and that was the exact moment I first saw it. And then I went across the trees, took another picture. And it was like that kind of hallelujah moment. You think, oh my, this is it. This is the, this is unlocking the potential of this entire golf course by doing this. Um, but I had to persuade them to let us have the island. So I did a, a sketch and I did a little plan. Um, 
And what it did was it gave us an extra hole over there, which means we didn't have to have one elsewhere on the yeah. back nine. So that gave us a space for the 13th hole, the great big yeah, par the par five. five. Oh, wow. Cause Cause we was were, that not going to be a par five then? No, we, we would have had to have had two or three holes in that field. And of course, now it's an, just an enormous piece of land with one hole in it. And we were really struggling to find a par five for that An second part of the, one. Yeah. yeah, for the for the back nine. But I was happy with the front nine, but the back nine at JCB was not strong until I found the 17th hole. And that was it. It was, right, okay, there's the idea. How do we make that work? And how do we not embarrass ourselves by, you know, getting the dimensions wrong or the green size wrong and all that kind of stuff? And uh, so, yeah, there's quite a bit of science went into that green because, you know. How do you make, you make it? You made it. Five times bigger, if not more. Well, it was ten a, times bigger. Yeah, but there's a bit of margin for error there. I went on the internet and I went looking for um, kind of rollout for a drive because it's going to be 250 plus yards. I thought this is going to be tragic if you hit down there and nothing will stop on it. <laughs> so I made the green 50% deeper than I knew it had to be for for a ball to stop. That's right. why it's so big. Um, and then we just had to figure out, okay, how are we actually going to build this thing? Because, you know, you couldn't get to the island. The only way you could get there was by a boat at that time. It, it, it's that it's such a clever hole because off the black tees, which we've played it off, it's very daunting. But actually, when you do look at the surface area, there is quite a lot of room. So it's, it's, room, it, yeah. it's good because you get that feeling of like, if you hit the green, you're, you're very happy. You're over the moon. You tell your friends you hit the green on 17 at JCB and it's becoming an iconic hole in its own right yeah. as it deserves to be. But actually, it is more generous than it looks, isn't if, it? If you hit that island, you yeah, celebrate. Yeah, that's what I mean. If you can, but, <laughs> yeah. And also, there's lots of tee options as well, which I think is good. The, the ones that the, the seniors was off was a little yeah. bit further forward. Yeah, it's like it, a it makes it much more palatable. Yeah, such a good hole. It is. I mean, it's it's too big for me. I'm no good enough to hit it off the back tees like you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've, I was there obviously a couple of weeks ago. I hit everything from six iron to three wood in a week because the wind was so mm. different. Yeah, I mean, it's usually a bit downwind, but yeah. you're so high up. If you get anything coming out of the right, and you just don't feel it, and you just, it can just send it anywhere. Yeah, no, it's so clever. <laughs> when when that was finally put together, mm. did you have a moment stood on that tee and just gone, wow, I've done it. This is this is the best hole I've designed. And and is it the best hole you've designed, or is the, be is the better ones? Um, It's certainly the most, I don't know. Probably not hard to say the best um, hole you designed because then there's other golf yeah, courses. The, the, so the why why didn't you build? Why <laughs> yeah. didn't you build it at our golf course? <laughs> well, you, you know, actually, I think I prefer the ninth at JCB to that. You like that one, don't you? The ninth is. Well, I like up the ninth. So I feel again, we'll put images on this if you if you if you watch. If, if you've been watching the recent matches with the guys from Good Good on my channel, it's the first hole we play. Yes, and I think for me, lucky enough to play JCB twice now, and we've been obviously loads of times filming. Mm. it's actually a course that, although it's beat me up both times I've played it, it's my fault because I can't hit my driver. However, it's a course that I've got to love more the more I know it. And I think nine is a hole that when I first played it, I was like, yeah, it's a nice little par three. I was so excited for 17. But actually mm. going back and playing it more and seeing it more now, I think nine isn't necessarily a better hole than 17. They're very different, but it's a very almost underrated hole. So, it's a it's lovely so nice. hole, isn't it? Really is a nice hole, that one. Yeah, it was, it was the last hole on plan um, because for, I don't know, two or three years, I was sold on the idea of the ninth hole aiming at the old towers of the, of the hall and the hole was going to play there, fully designed, everything, staked out, everything. And um, 
just one day I thought, you know what, if you if you just slightly hook one off of that, you're just going to brain someone on the 10th tee. So I thought, okay, well, we got this other little kind of patch of grass across to the right. I'm going to move it there. It's going to create a load more space for grandstands and circulation and, and fans. Let's move it there. So it was the very last hole to be designed. And um, you know, it's the, probably the best decision I've made in my career to move that green there. Wow. That's really cool, isn't it? it is. So you actually moved the green, you didn't move the tee. No, the tee stayed where they were, more or less. But, but the, the green was going to go more left of the trees. Yeah. Where yeah. the 10th tee is now, basically. Uh, no, if you stand on the 9th tee and kind of look straight at the, the old hall, it was in that little gap. No way. So, again, you've designed it. Mm-hmm. You've had it approved. Yes. You've had it approved from the golf venue. I'm guessing JCB, for this example, you had it approved by those guys. Yeah. I'm guessing you've got to then plant, like, start work. Like, how does that, how does, and, and you don't have to, I know I'm conscious we're talking about JCB a lot today, but it's obviously somewhere mutually I know. I, I, have, mm. I, have I played any, any of your other golf courses that you've designed? Um, probably not, because we don't tend to work too much in the UK. Um, I've designed a course in Bahrain, one in Morocco, Czech Republic. Wow. Um, got one in Bulgaria right now, one in Arctic Circle in Norway. Oh, wow. What? <laughs> so we could just do a full unlikely. series of break seventy fives at your golf courses and probably not not do it <laughs> once. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So um, you, you've planned it all out. You've got everything approved. You, you, it's now time to start digging. Yeah. Do you get involved in that as much as as you you, you can do or you would do or is oh, that a stage? Much. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Oh, as yeah, in, as much, in yeah. wellies are on. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, I was there uh, years, I and mean, we started building it in 2014, and we finished in 2018. And are you there pretty much every, every week. week? Every week we were building it. I was I oh. was there for two, three days a week at least. Yeah, a oh lot. Oh my god! And it was really wet. What, it, just a wet period of time in those well, four it, years? Well, it was or? really wet, but the ground—it's—I mean, you know—it's the pottery. It's clay. It doesn't seem like a wet course now, though. Well, there's been a lot of drainage. drainage. A lot of drainage. Um, sub-air now they've got as well. well they got, now, yeah, they've they? got sub... We, we put in all the kind of the sub-air pipe work. I mean, they've only got Oh, one. did you? Yeah, it's all in there. we just got to put in the electrics. Um, and they've put in a lot of sand capping in in the last 12 months that we didn't have the budget for at yeah. the time. But, um, yeah, it was it was a horrible sight. I mean, there's a guy... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know him, Adam Lawrence, he writes a, a magazine called Golf Course Architecture, and he said that the JCB site was the wettest site he'd ever visited. Wow, you yeah. wouldn't think that. You wouldn't. It was, it, it, it mashed my knee. I mean, I, I ruined my left knee <laughs> walking around there over the over the ruts. And was it literally, was there ever a point you're walking around and going, this won't, this won't work here? No, there was never a point. I, I thought that. I mean, there's always a way. We can drain anything. Uh, no, no, there wasn't a point. I thought it wasn't going to work. That's amazing. So you, you sho- the shovel hits the ground and yeah. off you go. And are you, is it like a team meeting every week? How? Because I think if I designed it, I know what I'd be like. <laughs> Dog legs left every hole. Dog legs left every hole. <laughs> There's a few of them. There but, is. But I, I would be, I'd be too, I'd be really like, I wouldn't be able to let people do stuff. I'd be too controlling. Like I'd be going, no, 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 no. I had this bunker doing that. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. We had this tea. Like how do you make sure everything gets done to the level that you expect it to do? Do you have a team that works under you? Do you have me? Do you have like do you have like a greens team and a tees team? Like how does that all work? Well, in this instance, JCB um, built it themselves. They were the main contractor, so I was the architect for them. But they 
they were building it and they kind of, uh, well, between us, we arranged to bring in the, the subcontractors and we had specialist shapers uh, who I recommended to them. And uh, Are the shapers, is that all they do? They shape golf courses? Yeah, basically. They'll, they'll go around the world just shaping golf courses 100% of the time. And I'm guessing it's all machinery to shape a golf course. Yeah. Yeah, it is now, yes. Mostly bulldozers, excavators. Obviously, we had several excavators we could get around. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of JCBs. <laughs> but, but you're there, and you, and you shape, and they're shaping it. So are you, are, are you quite controlling in that situation? Or are you comfortable and confident enough to go, okay, I'm going to let these guys do what they do because they're the best in the business? Well, I've done the, the drawings, and the, de- the drawings are quite detailed and prescriptive. So, um, I mean, I know exactly what it's, it should look like. That's it kind of gets you so far. And then the final 10, 15% is, is kind of, you're winging it a little bit. You just, because it might not quite look how you thought it would. And then you, you just kind of massage it and do it by eye. Um, I would say that generally speaking, they look a lot like the plans. But if we only built them to the plans, it wouldn't be as good as if you were out there just with your skilled yeah. people working. Sometimes out on the it's actually better off to work off plan, totally, because yeah. it it works in that environment. And, yeah. and the shapers and the actual experts know. Okay, yeah, I understand that on the plan, but in reality, right now, that's not going to work. We need to we need to have this bank go this way. We need to make sure that green structure falls off or whatever it may be. Yeah, there's an awful lot of you know doing it by eye, doing it by hand, just doing it by experience rather than slavishly following a plan but mm. that gets you a long way down is uh, other plans that is, i find that absolutely incredible you know when you have these um named players mm-hmm. come to design a golf course okay so let's say sir nick faldo for example mm-hmm. okay because he has faldo designs right yeah I don't, you might not be able to say it or you might do they have a real big say in the first stage of it and then hand it over to their team or, or is it more just a, a branding kind of exercise now? Like, do you, do you, have you seen, do you see when like Faldo designs a golf course, Montgomery designs a golf course, even Tiger Woods has been designing golf courses. Mm. Are they working closely with someone like you, I guess, the course architects and designer, mm. or are they, are they rolling out the maps and drawing it by hand? Well, I've done two courses with the Mon- with Monty, one in Morocco, one in Bahrain. And, uh, you know, he, he was there with me. But, you know, his, his career is as a professional golfer. Mm. Um, but it does vary. I mean, certain, certain guys do get stuck in more than others. Some, you know, it, it's, a, it's an endorsement contract, basically. Yeah. Um, Monty, Monty did chip in quite a lot. I saw and, quite a bit of him. And does he have, someone like him, let's say, for example, will he have, because, again, guy joking there, all, all my holes, I'd be dog-leg left. So I could just do a, a golf course in a circle. <laughs> um, do guys who have a tendency to hit certain types of golf shots want to design a golf course that would actually suit them as a golfer? Well, it's always been said, if you play a, a, a Nicholas course, they're all kind of set up for a fade into the yeah. greens. Yeah. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I, know, I know he wouldn't do that slavishly, but, you know, you kind of, can see that sort of pattern. I suppose if you stand in a piece of land and you're looking at a shot shape that you're thinking, right, how could this mm. hole be a hole? And you only see shot shapes that move left to right. It's probably easier for you to set up like a bit of a fady hole, I guess. Mm. You know, if that's that's how you play golf as such. Um, so that, that's quite interesting. So, uh, so you don't. So the, the it, it's different 
depending it, it on it varies on a lot on location, but and also you know it's the time in w- of their career in which they find themselves. I mean, uh, Fowler's been much more in, involved in recent years uh, since he stopped playing. Yeah, um, it was said that Jack Nicholas could tell you everything about every hole he designed. Um, you know, because he he knew his stuff, and uh, you know, I, I tend to believe that. Because is it Muirfield Village? I think our TV's just screens. gone off, Matt. Is it Muirfield Village? Sorry, Matt, just make a note on that time as well, please. Um, is it Muirfield Village where Nicholas has recently completely changed the whole golf course? Oh, he does it every year. Um, I don't know if you saw, a couple of years ago when they held the memorial, um, while they were putting out on the back nine, they were digging up the greens. They were. I did see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. He, yeah, it's his kind of... He does to that what they do to Augusta every year. He tinkers. Find sometimes you'll see pictures, aerial pictures, obviously probably fraudulent mm. ones or illegal ones of Augusta when it's not April, yeah. And it often doesn't look like Augusta we expect it to look like. Mm. Like there's been pictures leaked recently of a, an extended thirteenth tee. Tea, yeah, they that, built yeah. the road and they built the go- they bought the golf course near it and they built the road, extended the road and everything else. Mm. That looks so different to how we see it in yeah. August every single year. Is that because they do so much subtle work, but it kind of, it blends over time? How do, how, do, how do they make these subtle changes at somewhere like Augusta, yet it looks like it's been there forever? Well, they have an off-season there. The summers are so hot. Um, that's when they do all the work. and They'll rip it up every summer, pretty much, for the, before they come back in the autumn time. No, they get quite aggressive with Augusta National every year. They'll, it'll be dirt. A lot of the time during the summer, if they're oh re- regrassing God. or redoing the greens or, or what have you, um, on their side is the fact that it's it's warm, it's wet, they've got mm. irrigation, they can grow things there really quickly. But you know, large parts of that golf course are, are redone every year. Um, as we all know, it's a lot different than it used to be. Yeah, of course, a lot longer. So this thirteenth tee has been quite a long time in the in the, the offing that they're going to bring re- that since Bubba knocked it over the corner that time. Yeah. I can't remember what year it was, but they were like that hole needs to be extended, and it finally yeah. is being extended. Well, they, they want to kind of get it back to what it was, a real gambit par five. It, yeah. be, it become a little bit too straightforward for these guys. Do you think there is an issue with course architects and modern course design? So, obviously, the Open mm. has just been at the old course, okay? Mm-hmm. The winning score was 19 under par. Yeah. However, it seems to get a lot of media talking, oh, it's not long enough, it's not tough enough anymore, these guys can just rip it apart. But it wasn't, it was only a couple of weeks later at the PGA Tour event, I can't remember even what golf course it at, the winning score was like 25 under par. And this was like a modern course. Does somewhere like the old course, it can still stack up to tournament play, can't it? Well, it, it can. I mean, we saw this year, I think more than any other, they really put those pins away in places no one had ever seen them put before. To protect the course against you know, the distance. Um, I mean, the, the, there are tees on the old course now that were out of bounds all the way coming in on the back nine. Those tees are all stuck them out on the, the Eden course or the driving range. And it, there's a limit of so far they can go with, with the old course. If the weather lays down flat, it's defenceless. So they, they've got those whole locations. Uh, when you get an open at St Andrews, you just pray for a bit of wind because it's that's a real equaliser. Yeah. But 
Yeah, the, modern golf is all about power. I mean, just watching your, you with the good, good guys, I mean, they're hitting tee shots on those videos. I, I wouldn't even have conceived yeah. of... They were hitting it long, I must admit. Yeah, and um, I mean, I've had this discussion quite a lot in, in relation to JCB. I won't go on about it too much, but we have a battle as course architects with technology. Um, there's only so much we can do when the ball is in the air. You know, they can fire it over bunkers all day long, but... When the ball's on the ground, then we've got your attention. The technology is neutralised when the ball is on the ground. So, you know, I, I advocate green complexes being really technical, greens themselves being really technical, so it puts a lot of pressure on approach play and the angle into, into a green. That's our, our, to me, that's the defence we have as architects against the power game is by making the targets tricky. Yeah, nice you know? to put. You can see that at JCB, there's yeah. lots of greens that are very undulating, and if you miss, yeah. hit the green, hit the wrong part, you're going to have a potential three put on your hands. Yeah, and it it got commented on quite a lot by players in the Legends event, you know, and it it shook them up a bit. And I like that. I like to get under their skin. I like them to be annoyed. <laughs> quite frankly <laughs> <laughs> your job is to annoy My golfers job. yeah I mean the architect Pete Dye says he, he, he's one of his famous quotes was when you get those guys thinking they're in trouble yeah that's and a good way I think yeah yeah and that, that's been a bit of a mantra for me and um, you know I take a bit of flack for it and I did not long after I saw you I took a bit of flack but I'll leave it at that <laughs> I know there was one golfer who I spoke to the night of who you just mentioned actually <laughs> who uh definitely was was complexed about some of the greens and mr montgomery did he did he bend your ear you might say that i can't possibly comment <laughs> <laughs> he definitely said some of those greens are the wrong way round, and i was like oh. that's normally a sign when people have had a bad yeah. day though isn't it let's it be honest was. if you play well it's the best course since sliced bread i was well, like we just come second in the pro i'm the fine mate don't yeah. worry <laughs> Well, we were saying that we said in the last podcast um, that we did, well, the one before, about how as golfers we get annoyed how we can be so good one day and not the next. But what we thought was crazy was how on the first day, James Kingston shot 62. Oh, yeah. I think the second day was 74. And that just shows that on one day he's kind of ripped the course up, but the next day he couldn't couldn't break par. No, and um, I was talking to uh, Graham McDonald, the chief executive at JCB, while he was doing it, and he was getting quite worried. He was saying, oh, we can't have a 25 under winning and um, I, I did say to him oh, don't worry he'll, he'll wake up tomorrow and shoot 75 <laughs> he went far <laughs> off <laughs> and no that surprised everybody I mean we know that they were playing um, quite a long way forward for guys of their skill yeah um, I mean still nearly 7,000 yards but you know all the scoring holes they were playing well forward but even so 62 it's, yeah it's crazy, was a score. crazy score. no one got anywhere close to that the rest no. of the week when you go and play golf yeah can you actually enjoy it or are you constantly looking at golf course design? No, I can. I can switch off. I can I can I can play JCB now as a golfer and kind of detach myself from oh, I did that. I can just enjoy it as a golf course. Do you ever hit into a bunker and go, oh, yeah, why did I hit that? Why did I put that bunker there? <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> as you can imagine. And I am terrible at bunkers. I mean honestly my courses shouldn't have any at all if I was designing for myself. <laughs> what what's your style? Do you, have a, do you have an actual style, of course? Like, obviously, Mackenzie had the double-tiered greens. Um, I don't really know many others, to be honest. Nicholas, like say, has a bit more of a fade design. Mm -hmm. do, you have a, do you have a style that you like to stick to? Um, well, I think the greens are quite... Yeah, you, the greens have a certain look to them. So do you, do you want, in the, in, 
let's say, how many because how many courses have you designed right now? Oh god, I never think about that. More, more than ten? Yeah, more than ten. Yeah. After fifty courses that you design in your career, let's mm-hmm. say, what do you want when somebody walks on and goes, oh, "Is this a Heisman?" You go, oh yeah, this is a Heisman. How can you tell? It's because of the seven seventeenth amazing bar three. I've had forty two putts. That's probably what they're <laughs> going to say. Do you think it is that? Do you think it is the complexity of the greens um, you want to be known for? No. And do you want to be known for anything, or do you want loads of different styles? No, I don't want to be self-referential. I think you need to be. I'm, I'm very mindful of if I've done something before. I think, oh, hang on a minute, I don't want to do that again. I want to do something different. Um, uh, I like bunkers to be visible i like them to be dramatic so you know we put a lot of work into making the bunkers you know really set into the landscape that's something really uh, i put a lot of effort into because you play a lot of modern courses and you just can't see anything yeah there's a few that you can just like oh i didn't even know there's a bunker yeah. there no but you can do that intentionally but i think it's very easy to to correct that and, and make it stand out um so the ones we've done there in, in staffordshire are particularly noticeable for that they really do add to the to the scenery um but no i'd I'd like to think that if you played the ones i've done in that say since i joined egd that you wouldn't necessarily tell that it was the same guy and is that what you want is that the that would be what i'd want um but i wouldn't yeah Do, do some architects do some designers have a style and they stick to it oh totally yeah yeah, there's a few architects you could blindfold me, put me in the car and drop me in the middle of their golf course and I'll tell you in two seconds who designed it. Wow. And what are you looking for? Is it the bunkering? Is it the, the where the tee locations are? The, 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 um, whether you've got to hit him right or left or left kind and right? Earthwork style, I think it is. It's the style of the shaping. That's um, immediately identifiable for some people, yeah. Is there a golf course, mm-hmm. an old one, so let's say it's a Presswick or a St. Andrews, that you would love to get your teeth into to redesign Ooh. and have you do, do you do redesigns uh, yes it's, quite, it's getting yeah. quite popular now isn't it well yeah you've got to consider that um building new courses is really not the name of the game anymore um for 90 percent of us in this trade it's it's renovation work it's extension work um so yeah for every new course you build there's a, a future potential renovation job or re- restoration job to be done the only time now you'd often see new courses being built in the UK is if someone sold a course for housing and then go yeah. to relocation. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of that. Um, to answer your question, um, it's not actually that old. The The second course at Ballybunion... I don't know it, but... ...was designed by Robert Trent Jones in the, in the 80s. Uh, and I love it to bits. And they've had a bit of a tinker with it. But um, even he himself said in his later years that that was his biggest missed opportunity he had an amazing piece of land but you just didn't do it justice oh really it's quite interesting i'd love to get hold of that um but they i think they've probably done what they're going to do with it for now um yeah there's a few i'm trying to think what i what i can about that but there's been a lot of work done on links courses around the country recently yeah um you'll see all the kind of the open venue courses all had a bit of a brush up yeah definitely in recent times well uh, one of the one of the more famous ones obviously it's not on the open roster currently because of political reasons but trump uh turnberry oh it's an amazing course like that's yeah. I, i've actually believe this or not and you you might want to walk off the podcast when i say this i've never been to Tr- turnberry i've yeah. never played it in its original condition i've never played it in its new condition it's definitely a break 75 coming up there then, <laughs> I, I, believe it, be. I believe it's yeah. spectacular 
Yeah, it's wonderful. It is brilliant. What they did there, I remember Peter Alice for donkey's years would look at that ninth hole at Turnberry, the old one, and say, oh, if only they put a par three across the bay here, it would be a world-class hole. And they eventually did. And um, it's it's really made you know that course so much better, what they've done with it in recent years. It was a bit disappointing before. Your next project, okay? Yes. I I want you to give me the, the dream plot of land. So the phone rings mm. at EGD. Mm-hmm. And they go, hi, it's Rick Shields here, and I'm, I want to design a golf course, okay? And you go, what patch? Of, what? Where is it? What patch of land is it? Yes. What would you love me to say? Because I'll go and buy. I'll go and buy it. <laughs> You'll go and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do one together. I'd, I, I would honestly, genuinely, hand on heart, I would love to design golf courses. Get involved in that. I think it, I, it fascinates me. It is, at times, the most rewarding profession you could possibly have. Yeah. Bar you know, winning golf tournaments, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, you do have that kind of opportunity to kind of just, in a way, kind of play God in a way. You're kind of yeah, looking at is, a piece of land and thinking, I want, it to look like, yeah, well, I want it to look like this. And, you know, by golly, I'm going to do that. <laughs> For five years later. <laughs> so go on, I'm on the phone and I'll okay. say, I've got a patch of land. What would you want it to have? Sand. Lots and lots and lots of sand. So you'd want it to be linksy or not? You want it Preferably linksy, uh, but it could be Heathland. Okay, um, yeah, that's a good point. Because with sand, you can just do amazing golf courses quite cheaply. And is that because of, what's those new things now called, like um, sand scrapes? Oh. They're like bunkers, but they're not a bunker. Oh, I've so, done a few of them in the yeah. past They've got yeah, really yeah. popular. Like they we, have, we yeah. played the new co- the new hole at Royal Liverpool a few weeks ago. Yeah. And the new 17th got hole. got Archerfield as well. And Archerfield. And it just looks so good when they've... And, they've, it and it's like, yeah. it's sand, but it's not a bunker, but it can be a bunker, but it's just natural. It's lovely. Yeah. And um, in the right place, they look amazing. They actually take a, a ton to look after because, you know, grass wants to grow and it'll fill them in if you don't look after them. The piece of land that I really wanted has actually got a golf course on it now. Oh, wow. Um, and um, it's it's where they built St. Patrick's in Ireland. Don't know it. You don't know it. Ross Penner. I look now. Is that the one that Eric did a video on yesterday? I'm what sure Adventures in Eric? Golf. Aaron, Eric Anders Lang. Anders Lang. I haven't seen it. It is yeah. an Adventures in Golf account literally yesterday, and it was yeah. in Ireland, and it was unbelievable, and I'm probably 99% is. sure. What's it called again? St. Patrick's. St. Patrick's, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was that golf course because I'd never heard of it before golf club, and it Ireland. looks unbelievable. I mean, what a name for a golf course as well, oh, yeah, St. Yeah. Patrick's exactly. in Ireland. Because they, they had two golf courses on that piece of land in the past that were done really... You is know. that it? Yes, it is, yeah. Oh, my God. We'll put a picture up. I'm sure that's the one. Let's have a quick look. Oh, it looks it. I haven't um, got my glasses on, but yeah, it, it looks Patrick's like it. Yeah, St. Patrick's links it. Ross Penner. Ross Penner, yeah. Yeah. He's put the last course and Lush links. I literally watched my stay and couldn't believe how I've never heard of that place. Is it amazing? Looked unbelievable. So that's the patch of land by the ocean. Yeah, because I I went there. Oh gosh, when they 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 had these two old courses on it that um, they they'd just done locally for next to no money, and I turned up there to play them, and they'd actually closed. They'd been abandoned, Um, and they sold the land to to a developer who'd gone bust. So these two golf courses were just lying abandoned on this incredible piece of dune land. And he just sat there that way for about 10 years until the Rossapena Hotel next door bought it out of uh, administration and hired Tom Doak to put one golf course on this land that previously had two. 
and uh, I played it last year, playing it again in September, and it's probably the last Lynx course they'll build in Ireland. That's Is that what, that's that's what, what they've said? Yeah, yeah, yeah because you can't get permission to build on new, new Lynx land anymore, but because it was already a golf course, they didn't need to. Is was it Tom right? Morris beforehand, was it? Because I'm sure there's a uh, Tom Morris like memorial thing there, isn't there? I, Tom Morris did the original course yeah. at Ross Penna, um, and then... Um, uh, Pat Ruddy did the Sandy Hills links, which is there, and then Tom Doak did this St Patrick's links. Why are they not letting them build on links course anymore? Links land protected. It's all environmentally protected now. All wow. wildlife and things. Yeah, and yeah. Oh god, that makes sense. So it looks pretty good though. So that's that's the spot. Yeah. Well, it it would have been. <laughs> yeah. There's there's some bits up in um, Scotland. I think are still on military land that no one really knows too much about. There's a load down near Carnoustie, the Budden links. Firing ranges at the moment, some amazing links land there. There's some amazing links land in a place called the Culbin Forest up near Nairn. It's all covered in trees, but um, you know, mythically, people are saying if they took the trees off, it would be uh, some of the greatest links courses you've ever seen in your life. Um, so there are a few places just whether you can get permission yeah. for them. You know. and, and is scenery a big thing for you on a golf course? It it, it is, but I think you can create scenery looking inwards. If you don't have it looking outwards, mm. um, but um, yeah, for sure, if you've got a mountain backdrop or an ocean backdrop, it does a lot of heavy lifting for you. Yeah, that, that's it, one thing. When we we played a lot of open courses recently, I've been very privileged to do so. And like Carnoustie is obviously a legend of a golf course, and yeah. it's a shame that you can't see the the sea at all. And then you go to like a King's Barn or Wallasey. We played the other day. I was so impressed with Wallasey how you can just see the the ocean next year. It does really add something. Yeah, it's like Ballybunion. You go to Ballybunion, you're just transfixed by the ocean on half of the holes yeah. there. It's, no one designed that. It's just yeah. lending to the golf course free of charge. Give me five courses, Robin, that I have to have to play. You have to play geographically. I'm going to go St. Patrick's on that list. Worldwide? Worldwide? Or UK? Let's go UK oh, right. first. No, let's go UK. UK and then we'll see how many you've done as well. All right. Well, I'm going to send you to, to Cairn in Ireland. Okay. Um, I, I paid a, for a life membership there. and Have you? I have, and that was quite an investment, but it is, it's the most majestic links course you've ever seen in your life. It is incredible. Right. So and it's in the middle of nowhere, and then it takes a lot of effort to get there. So there's, there's two Irish courses. We'll stop with them. Um, five courses you have to play. I suppose up in Scotland, if you've never been to Dornoch, you should play that. I've played Dornoch. You really ought to. I feel like I've not played enough golf courses. And you should play, go there in June. In June, why is the rough up? No, you, you can just play till midnight. Oh, okay. So door, door <laughs> Donut, <laughs> Donut Golf Club, yeah. Yeah. Um, quite, well, a link, quite a linksy list so far. It's quite, um, oh yeah, I'm a quite, I'm taken by that. Do you want an inland one? Go for it. Mix it up a bit. Inland one. Painswick. I, I love, I, I like how I've not heard of them though. It makes Painswick. Painswick. And yeah, where's that? That's in Gloucestershire. Right. It's f- less than 5,000 yards long. Love it already. It's the, <laughs> you might break 75. <laughs> you might, Ouch. <laughs> you might break 65, quite frankly. Uh, it is just the weirdest, quirkiest golf course on the planet, but it is just adorable. Oh, my God. Okay, and then give us one more. Give you one more. What What do you fancy, inland or... Something um, like a Heathlandy one, if that one wasn't already. What about Because we played Alwoodley, and we loved it, but apparently... No, so we played Moortown, didn't we? Alwoodley's meant to be even better. I've had Sunningdale are both unbelievable. Never played That's why you of said your office is, isn't it? Sunningdale. Sunningdale, yeah. Um, although I don't know it very well. 
I mean, if you, have you played it? No, I've no, not played it. Oh, there you go. You've got to play Sunningdale. Is that it's, it? Sunningdale, yeah. Take and, a, a pick. and then one worldwide. I think I'm going to give you a toss-up between Pine Valley. I've heard about it. Yeah. I've heard how good that and is. And Cypress Point. Have you been to Pine Valley? I've walked it. Yes, I've walked it, but I haven't played it. Question then. I've hit a lot of people say Pine Valley's number one in the world. You hear people say County Down as well recently. I'm, I'm not sure you obviously know much about than we do. I've watched some of the drone footage on, I think it's Golf Digest, done it off Pine yeah. Valley. Yeah. It looks great. But what is it about it that's so good? I think it's it's almost the ultimate test of nerve because it's so penal. I mean, they have a local rule because, there. Because you're only going to play it once yeah. ever in your life yeah. if you ever get a chance to play it. What's the rule? What's the local There's rule? There's no preferred lies. You can't lift and drop from anywhere right. on the golf course, even if you're under a root behind a tree. Uh, there's an old. There's a story about a guy who, who set off the, the first f- uh, four holes come back to the clubhouse. And I think a you know, first five, four holes, and then the fifth is part three. And he, I think he'd gone birdie, birdie, eagle, birdie, then he holding one. Oh my gosh. On the 5th. And he said, well, I'm going to nip into the clubhouse to get a drink before I carry on. And he never came out. <laughs> it was like he never finished. Completed golf. It was, um, you know, you, you can't do any better than that on this course. Oh, my God. But there's the, I've got a history book there, and, then, and there's a of Pine Valley, and there's a whole chapter about people who had these incredible disasters playing out there and, you know, shooting 25 on a hole because they couldn't get it out of a stream and they had to, the ball kept on rolling down the stream. And they have to, to keep. Can't even say w- drops out of water. No, there was no. Well, you know, if you lost the ball in the lake, you got to take a drop. But if you can see the ball, you you got to hit it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and That's what, crazy. I know it's very hard to say, but what do you think is the best golf course in the world? Well, that's a tricky one. A lot of people would actually say Royal Melbourne's West Course is the best in the world. There's a sort of purest example of golf course architecture at its best. Mm. You know, best bunkering, the best greens, the, just the best layout. Uh, I have played that one and it is remarkably good. And there's there's a a couple of holes at JCB I kind of modelled on holes from Royal Melbourne, seventh hole particularly at JCB. Um, a par five up the hill. No, this no, is par one, four sorry, down. The one down. Yeah, yeah, with a very strong dog leg. Um, I yeah, I think there's quite a good consensus that might be if you went to the ranking list, it's usually Pine Valley is number one. But you'd you, you'd You'd manage it quite nice because the fairways are huge. Um, the, you know, it's it's not long. It's just one of those courses that it, it will shred your nerves if you've got a, a bit of a glitch in your swing. <laughs> which so, which course is that? Royal Melbourne? Which one? West. West. The West. Yeah, they use a composite course in the um, in the President's Cup. Does look nice, course. Yeah. Um, so okay, but have you? Can you give us the number one? What would you say? Did you, did you give us the number one then or not? I'm going to go Royal did. Melbourne. I think that's probably the best architecture, and I guess that's my kind of specialist subject. Yeah, there you go. Amazing. Well, Rob, you have been absolutely phenomenal today. Loved having you on. Um, I feel like we need a, a part two <laughs> at some point in the future. When I want to design my own golf course, okay, yeah, we'll call it St. Rick's. We'll get rid of the pat. St. <laughs> Rick's. And buy them out. And we'll, uh, we'll, put it on, we'll put it on the best patch of land in the world, and mm. we'll make some 
incredible. The only thing is with Rick, you've got quite short patience with things. So Rick would want to design it and then it'd be ready like maybe two weeks later. Two weeks. So you've got right. the best contractors with JCBs. We'll get some AstroTurf. I quite like that. Lay it down. <laughs> just a batch of AstroTurf straight down. Um, Robin, you've been amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to that. follow your journey, play more of your golf courses, um, play this top five list that you give us and uh, good luck with it all and uh, keep killing it. Keep, keep designing these amazing golf courses. Rick Guy, thank you very much. Thanks Loved so much. it. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.